listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 131 of the Testudo Times podcast, where I'm going to introduce something here to prevent myself from going into random tangents about how bad Rutgers is at football and most sports. I'm introducing the Rutgers swear jar. If I say anything about Rutgers football, other than this mention off the top of the show that Maryland beat them and beat them convincingly, I will donate a dollar to the charity of People's Choice. Sound like a good idea, Thomas? I've heard worse. You've definitely heard worse on this show, I bet. Oh, oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, at least I was trying. I was trying to be creative. And you know what? After watching that game of football, I don't know how creative you could possibly be. Uh, Lamar, do you have any ideas of uh, worst bits I've done on this show? Or is this the worst one yet? Uh, can't, can't think of anything off the top of my head. That's good news for me. <laughs> that is fantastic news. Okay, let's talk about the football game, which really felt like a football game. It felt like a scrimmage kind of felt like a spring game actually in many ways thomas what can you take from a game like that if you could take anything from a game like that i'm honestly not sure i mean like maryland was so clearly the better team and it's it's unclear whether they they really gave 110 you know 100 percent in the second half um even though pretty much all the starters stayed in the the defense definitely played well but got plenty of help like Rutgers completing two passes and one of them not being actually this great throw and the other one being a four yard gain on a third and eight and like those are the two completions and then it was a bunch of misfires and then five interceptions it was like the ones beating the twos in the spring game but like it counted it was weird i've i've never seen anything like that that was a conference football game oh i i did it was called sean petty at quarterback i'm sorry to bury that even further but it kind of felt like that in some ways when it just felt like a fait accompli, you have to play the game. But I don't even think Maryland played that great. Their first couple of drives weren't that fantastic. Then Ty Johnson broke it off and the game was over. But like, like the entire game just felt like it felt academic. It felt like it's being played because it has to be played. And you were in the press box. I was watching the game on BTN and just trying to listen to Brandon God and Glenn Mason try to find things to talk about. As an announcer, that's the worst thing that could happen. It's a game that's like that, where it's just so one-sided, you can't even vamp properly. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, I, and, and here's the thing. is like, we didn't even... We di- I didn't think it would be that bad. I didn't think Rutgers would... Like, I think Rutgers played very poorly by its own standard. And Maryland was kind of average at best for its standard. They, they um, didn't play that great, all things considered. No, I mean, you know, the quarterback had time more often than not. Kasim and, and Kasim Hill went 8 of 17. Um, you know, he had some really good throws and had a lot of misfires. Like, I'm less confident that Maryland can beat Iowa now than I was this time last week. It's not a unreasonable take, I think, in any way. Uh, Lamar, I want to focus on Kasim Hill because for what little you could take out of a game against the football team that I'm not going to mention their name anymore because I'm already lighting my wallet. Uh, Kasim Hill was 8 of 17. He had some great throws. The touchdown plays were very good. But he also missed some wide-open receivers, and it's clear that the offense is still very much predicated on the run, even though there were a few wrinkles of trying to move Kasim Hill a bit out of the pocket which maybe added something. 
I, I get the sense that he's going to get it at some point. It's going to click, and then Maryland will have the quarterback we all thought that Maryland was going to have when they got him to sign. But we haven't seen it yet, and my fear is, like, if you don't see it against this football team in this game, are you going to ever see it? Well, you got to remember, he hasn't played that much football yet. He's still, this is maybe like, this this week is going to be like his 10th college football game. Uh, and he, I'll argue that he did show some of what you wanted to see when you signed him. The, the touchdown passes are exactly what you wanted. He showed the passes. He showed the touch on those passes that you like expect him to show all the time. But he's still coming along. It's still going to take a little longer for him to get everything right there, like and everything on target. But I think he did show glimpses of what could be. But it's just going to take a little bit longer for him to get all the way there. Do you agree with that, Thomas? Because I think after half a season now, I would have expected a little bit more from Maryland's passing game. I know they haven't ever gone to it and barely ever used it, but at some point, don't you think you can expect a little bit more than this? Oh, for sure. I mean, we've we've written about this a you know a good amount. Is that against the the best defenses in the Big Ten, and Iowa's one of them. You know, coming up this week. You, you do have to have that balance because these teams can key in on the run and stuff it if they want to. I mean, Matt Canada talks about this all the time. If a team wants to focus on stopping the run, it can do that. If, the, if that's the only goal, they can do that. And teams against Maryland, you know, that, that have Texas was able, Texas was the one team that was able to stop the run, wasn't able to stop Maryland's passing game. Um, Isn't that weird which, now to think about in hindsight? Oh, a lot of things like that are weird to think about. I mean, that in particular, that, you know, Maryland beat Texas without running the ball well. And then he hasn't thrown the ball well since. Um, but no, they're going to need other more performances like that to win games this weekend and, you know, in a couple weeks against Michigan State. Um, and then obviously later in the season against Ohio State, Penn State. Well, let's, like, not, even the, go, let's not even go there. <laughs> Well, too late. Okay. Uh, can I say that the wrinkles of trying to get Kasim moving a little bit more out of the pocket sort of helped? I understand why they wanted him to mainly be a pocket quarterback for the time being because they're worried about his health and they're worried about the fact that he might not be 100-100% yet. Uh, but I think maybe using that and using it with Tyrell Pigram could open up this offense a little bit, right? I mean, it's a wrinkle, and this offense – for all the motions, all the shifting, it doesn't have a ton of wrinkles to it. It's actually kind of simple once you take the shifts out of it. So don't you think that that's a wrinkle that could be added that might help this team a little bit more when you have to play a decent defense? Now, I'm not going to say this is a vintage Iowa defense. They've given up points to Minnesota, who Maryland destroyed, and Indiana, who's got a good offense but not a great offense. So Maryland could probably score, and they did score 21 against Michigan. I mean, good extenuating circumstances. But to the original point, Thomas, do you think that maybe – rolling out Kasim Hill and maybe using Tyrell Pigram in a passing situation a little bit more like that with some getting him outside the pocket. Is that a solution or is that something that Matt Canada should try a little bit more? Cause we didn't really see that until Saturday. I, I think we had, we had seen it a few times and you know, we remember it's something that we're remembering mostly when it's succeeded. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of any times where it hasn't worked rolling out um, Hill more often, I mean, usually to his right. So, so that's the that's one that if you go to that too often, it becomes predictable. But 
when it's been he, – he made some very good throws rolling up to his right last game. And that's definitely something I think, you know, Matt Canada is going to want to do more of because they did work. And when plays work, you, you call them again. And so I, I think it really just comes down to that. I definitely think it, it's something. And uh, I think Lamar, one of the criticisms of Matt Canada's offense that I completely agree with is it's kind of vanilla and his play calling is kind of not predictable, but it's kind of basic. And I understand that considering he's got one bullet in his chamber and you might as well try to use it. But uh, is there anything else that you could think about to get this offense to work? Because if Maryland is going to be Iowa or anybody that is a semblance of good, they're going to have to do something. You can't throw for less than 100 yards and win almost any football game against any reasonable opponent. Yeah, I can't think of any one specific thing they need to do uh, or, like, they should do to, like, jumpstart the off, uh, passing offense, but they have to figure out something for this week. Uh, there's no, like you said, there's no way you can go in and expect to just run the ball. Everyone knows that's your that's your one bullet in the chamber. You have to have a little bit of something else if they're going to have any shot to come out with a win against Iowa. And Iowa has definitely been a lot better than I certainly thought they were going to be this year. Uh, the one other thing I want to say about the football game that just took place, Thomas, I mean, I don't know if really the defense has to do very much to be that good, but I think it was their first five turnover game, or first five interception game. It's something like 2001, which is still impressive, whatever the case may be. Uh, the defense is much less of a problem than the offense is. And I don't know how many people came into the season thinking the defense was going to be less of a problem than the offense. I certainly didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's just that every question mark on the defense has been met positively. You know, will the pass rushers be healthy enough? And, you know, will they produce? And both Jesse Annabonum and Byron Coward have produced. Byron Coward had his best game of the season this weekend. He did. Easily. Had... A sack, another tackle for loss. He had the interception. He had a second sack that was kind of negated by a horse collar. Um, and then Trey Watson has been unreal. My my favorite, Trey Watson was suspended for the first half of this game. And by the start of the fourth quarter, he was tied for the team lead in tackles. That's, Maryland hasn't had a linebacker this good in a while. Just somebody who flies and just makes plays, makes solid plays. Yeah, I mean, and then they have a safety and a nickel corner who are very much the same kind of guy. Just fly to the ball. It's worked. For whatever you want to say about the coach that's suspended, the talent acquisition has been very, very good. Maryland is talented. It's one of the most talented Maryland teams that we've seen. Uh, the last thing we'll mention on the football game that took well, place. Well, those three guys, those three guys, right before we move on. Yes. Um, they, or those three guys are, like, developed as well. I mean, Brooks was kind of a gamble as a recruit. He was this two-star recruit. He was a, a really good quarterback and really good everything in high school. Had this gruesome injury, turned a lot of teams off, didn't turn off Maryland. Darnell Savage was, I believe, a mid-three-star recruit. He's gotten better every year. He's now one of the best safeties in the country. And Watson was a grad, grad transfer who got kind of – he didn't produce as much last year as he had in the past. And Maryland saw something in him, and he's showing everything. So, like, those three guys, they're, they're all – it's not just acquiring talent. It's developing it and making it into something. Well, that's the thing that Maryland has to do to be successful. You're never going to get the five-star recruits that any good school is going to get, especially when you're in the Big Ten East. You have to find the gems and you have to develop them, and Maryland has done a better job of not doing that. All their greatest of players in recent years, minus really Stefan Diggs, have been 
two and three star guys that have been developed. I mean, DJ Moore was a first round pick and was a three star recruit that came out of not nowhere, but ended up being really, really good. That's what Maryland has to do in order to be successful. And that's probably the best story of Maryland football is those kind of players being developed and turning into stars after not really having the publicity. Uh, let's quickly, on the last thing about the football game that just took place, what was your favorite stat from it? Because there were a lot of interesting stats from this game that you will never see in any other football game ever again. I mean, I'm still just going on, you know, the more interceptions than completions. I, I tweeted this at halftime, and I was like, oh, so, like, completions and inter- interceptions are tied at two. And then the second half was th- three interceptions and no completions. And then they brought in a second quarterback, and he threw one pass, and he threw an interception. I, was it there was a point where they had more penalty yards than offensive yards, and more first downs via penalty than on offense, I think. Because they had there was there was a moment in the first half where Rutgers had 31 offensive yards and 30 yards on two roughing the passer penalties. I know. <laughs> that was man, Lamar. Do you have any uh, favorite stats from that game? Uh, I think my favorite one has to be two of seventeen for eight yards. Eight. I, I mean, I make Sean Petty a lot, but I mean, it wasn't ever that bad. How do you combine? Like, and that's between two quarterbacks. They combined to throw for less than what account amounts to a first down. That's crazy. Uh, I, I I really do genuinely feel bad. At some point, you don't make jokes anymore, and you legit start to feel really terrible. I'm and... I'm kind of honored to have seen it. That was crazy. Is that a game you're going to tell your children about? 100%. <laughs> you're going to be like, I saw the worst football team in the history of FBS. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there have been teams that might have gone over, but that one might have been worse, and I legitimately feel bad. Okay, I'll mention Rutgers once, and I'll donate a dollar to some charity in the nearest future. I will say that I asked somebody who would know Rutgers very well in my family, I said, is it worse than the worst he's ever seen? And Rutgers in the early 2000s, if you remember, maybe you shouldn't, but they were abhorrently bad. And he was even starting to say, I don't know if it was this bad then. So if it was like that was the time when Miami was putting 70 up on people and Virginia Tech with Michael Vick was also around and that team was in the basement of the Big Ten, uh, Big East, along with Temple and they were just getting destroyed. And uh, if that was somehow better than that, than what we just saw, I have no idea. But anyway, a last word on that. We don't have to talk about them anymore. Uh, Iowa on Saturday. First of all, if any of you are going to that game, you're going to have so much fun. It's one of my favorite road trips I've ever done. Uh, any sporting event, let alone Maryland, and that was three years ago when Iowa was top 10 and nearly won the Big Ten and made it to the college football playoff, which is the thing that's crazy. They're actually really good this year. They lost to Wisconsin, but otherwise they've won their five other games. They really beat up on Indiana. That was a surprise because uh, Indiana is a team that's on Maryland's level, and most people who know college football would tell you Indiana's better, and that was on the road. So this is a very, very difficult task for Maryland to go on the road and beat Iowa. It's ostensibly a slightly easier task than going and beating Michigan, but based on the way Iowa's been playing, Thomas, it's not by much. No, I mean, Iowa has sort of realized its potential as a team and is currently in the top 20. Nice. I mean, even, even, yeah, and even in the Wisconsin game, they had a lead with a minute left. And then a and... terrible, terrible bad beat at the end of that game, too. Mm-hmm. So that, so, so that was rough, but I mean, they're that minute away from being undefeated and probably even 10 spots higher. And so, yep. 
you know, this is a very good football team, very good defensively. Um, and after watching enough of Maryland's offense, that it's reasonable and wise to be worried about that. And, you know, Maryland will have to figure a lot of things out, particularly on that end. On defense, they'll have some tight ends to stop. It's, it's Iowa, so some they got to stop tight ends. Yeah, Iowa's two leading receivers are tight ends. That including... is the most Iowa thing I've ever seen, next to the leading yeah, receiver being a fullback. Yeah. I've, been reading, I've been reading articles from Alex on the best punter in college football. Surprisingly, he plays for Texas A&M and not Iowa. You couldn't have convinced me that was going to happen before the season. But I know we make jokes about Iowa, but the thing that always happens, Thomas, when you play them, and Maryland's played them twice before in the Big Ten, they never beat themselves. They're the most fundamentally sound team ever. They will never, ever make the mistakes that cost them games. You know, Maryland has done that. And other teams do that. Iowa will not do that, especially at home. You have to outplay them in order to beat them. And is this Maryland team capable of outplaying Iowa the way they're playing right now? I think the answer is possibly yes. But they got to play like they played against Texas and maybe take it up a notch if they want to do that. Yeah, probably. I mean, and especially on the road because Iowa's not really an easy place to play. Just ask any top five team over the last decade well maryland's the furthest thing from that <laughs> that's also correct i i don't know I, iowa once lost at home to an fcs school i can't remember when that was but that was a couple of years ago i think it was well, that was north that was north dakota state which, which is, is really an FCS actually team. a power five level team <laughs> certainly better than some of the football that's been played this year yeah i mean that's you schedule north dakota state for your homecoming bad things happen you d- you get what you deserve uh, well, they didn't schedule them for their homecoming. It was now in conference play. But it's unlike Maryland deciding that homecoming next year should be against Michigan. <laughs> what a smart idea. Yeah, that that's was a, a fearless game. idea. It's a fearless idea. Yeah, they're showing no fear, all balls, and that stadium is going to be 75% Michigan fans. Anyway, uh, Lamar, what do you think about this game? I, I think Maryland could be competitive because Iowa, even at their best, they don't destroy people. Ohio State last year aside. What does Maryland have to do to stay in this game? Because with Michigan, it didn't seem like they were as competitive as they actually were on the scoreboard. It was within two scores of the fourth quarter. Uh, Is that kind of what you expect to happen here, or can Maryland hang a little bit tougher with Iowa because they're not quite as talented as Michigan is? So in order for them to hang out, hang uh, with Iowa longer and like be in the game later in the game, they're going to have to take advantage of whatever the defense, whatever advantages the defense gives them early on. Uh, that was what the main thing in the Michigan game that they, uh, uh, that was the main thing in the Michigan game that while the defense gave them some opportunities early on, they didn't take, they couldn't take advantage of them. And if they're going to hang around with Iowa and try to win this game. They're going to need to score a little score early on when uh, if the defense can stop that Iowa team early. If there's any turnovers, Maryland has to score off them. They don't turn the ball over that often themselves, but if Iowa turns the ball over, which is rare, uh, you're going to have to score off them. You're going to have to punish them. And if you have a chance to get chunk plays, take advantage of it. And one play, Ty Johnson breaks it off, might not necessarily be the best strategy to beating Iowa, this version of Iowa. But I think Maryland has a chance to be competitive. I do not know what the line is. Thomas, you have any idea what the line is? I'm taking Iowa minus whatever it is at this point. But Iowa's currently favored by nine. That seems which low. Honestly, yeah, seems a little favorable to Maryland. 
sharp money has the sharp money yet gone to i i've been what sharp money goes to maryland in anything against Rutgers, it did well that, uh, that opened at 21 turned into 25 just about got it right <laughs> And 25 kind of sold it short. They won by 27. Well, if it was any higher, we would have had a really awful bad beat. Yeah. That would have been historically bad. That would have made Scott Van Pelt's montage if it was at, like, 29, and that's what happened anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I honestly think Iowa probably covers that, but I'm willing and happy to be wrong. If there's any of these games in which Maryland is playing a team where they're somewhat overmatched, this is probably the game where I think they could do the best because Iowa, even at their best, doesn't destroy people. Again, Ohio State last year accepted. I mean, they played pretty well against Indiana, but even then, that wasn't like a total, complete annihilation. You know, and they gave up 31 to Minnesota, who it turns out is better than we all thought because they hung tough with Ohio. Would you have gone – what would your reaction have been if Minnesota had beaten Ohio State and Maryland had a transitive win over them? I don't, I don't know anymore because, like, Maryland has done all this against – you know, they beat Texas. They'd have the transitive win. You know, that, that win over Texas gave them transitive wins over Oklahoma, USC. They could theoretically get, like, a – I mean, because they killed Minnesota. Like yeah, they wiped, they wiped Minnesota away. And, and, and Minnesota scored 31 against Iowa. So, like, that's I don't want to use that as a judge for where Maryland is as a football team. But it's hard not to think. Maryland beat Minnesota by 29. Minnesota hung tough at the horseshoe and hung 31 on Iowa. So, if you can... I think Maryland us. at its best is hanging with a lot of these teams. It's just that Maryland's best has only showed up a few times. Twice, and maybe. Hard, yeah, and hardly involves throwing the football. Yeah, so it, it's definitely true. I'm very interested to see this game on Sunday, mostly because it'll give me good memories of when I went to Iowa and called that game in a shack. But that was fantastic then. And if you are going to Iowa, some of the nicest people out there. And they didn't have the waving to the kids in the hospital tradition when I went, which they have now, and that's really one of the coolest things ever. And they are some of the nicest people out there in Iowa City. So... Please enjoy that if you're going. Uh, we need to talk about other football things now, Thomas, and we're recording this Wednesday evening, and so the long-winded investigation into the toxic football culture at Maryland is over, and it actually seems like we're going to get news on this soon as opposed to us speculating that news is coming. Yeah, except we're still not entirely sure when we're going to get the news. So the Board of Regents is going to be briefed on this at its regularly scheduled meeting, and then they're going to have a different meeting to discuss what whatever they learn at this meeting. I hope they remember. There will like, be a quiz afterwards. Yeah, well, the quiz is on Tuesday. Like I've that, so that's a little odd to me. I, I but, think uh, that's how the board of regents operates. We're just and then attention to it now. And then within a week is what they say. They will release those findings publicly. So they will have discussed the findings, and then they will release them. So I suppose that Later that that, week, that anywhere between this time next week and like Halloween. Again, if I had to guess, I think it's probably on a Friday. Friday news dump. Friday at five sound good to you? 
just seems like that's when you'd release something like this. Yeah, but at the same time, there's a football early. game the next day. Yeah, but they did that with the with the the Walters report too. So it's bad news. Yeah, Friday right around seven thirty. Sounds about right. Yep, it does. And while we joke about this in terms of when the news is released, uh, the fact that the investigation took as long as it did, you had some comments on the story you just posted on Tattoo Times relative to when we're recording this, Thomas. So, what do you want to say on anything in terms of how long the investigation took? It's thoroughness, some of the things that the Board of Regents has been talking about, just pertaining to the investigation itself. Yes, I mean, this is mostly from uh, the Washington Post, and you know, we've heard a couple of things like this as well, is that they, the scope turned out a little uh, broader than they originally intended, and they made an effort to interview as many players as possible, and then new information would come out, and they would re-interview people. And so that's just a long process um i'd rather them be thorough than not thorough yeah like i personally wouldn't you know don't have as much of a gripe with it taking as long as it has as long as you know everyone's kind of confident they do the right thing although i don't know if anyone knows what the right thing is anymore (laughs) no one has any idea and to that point, there was a story released. What was the outlet where this was released? I think it was The Athletic. This was The Athletic. Okay, I Nicole was to make sure I got it right. Uh, it was that prominent parents of Maryland players, you take that what you will, um, said that they don't want DJ Durkin back as coach. Now, their names were off the record. Obviously, for journalistic reasons, I completely understand that, and we've already talked about the journalism aspects of reporting a story like this at length. I have no issues with the parents being off the record in this case. There's there's nothing wrong with that in a journalistic sense. But just the fact that that released, and then we're talking three days later about the investigation being over, uh, it offers up just, again, the dichotomy of how tough this decision is. Because while I personally think there's a right way to go, and I've made it clear what I think Maryland should do, there are a lot of differing opinions. And the people in power seem to have differing opinions. And when you think about what some of the the players are thinking and what some of the parents of players are thinking, if they're reading this, and there are other stories that are going on that have not been reported or only behind closed doors, who knows? Maybe some of that plays into what these parents are thinking, and you have to take it seriously. Yeah, I I think, as as I've said, when these things come out, it's it's the right thing to do to – take them seriously maybe be a little skeptical especially if you want you know it's fine to wonder whether or not someone might have something to gain from information getting out there that's bad about a certain coach that they might not like um and it's fine to certainly be skeptical of you know it's three parents that are uh, sourced in the story and the group that the story is referring to is about half a dozen and I'm sure some parents are much more vocal than others. And there's a lot of parents on the team that, that share this. How many players? Over 100. I believe it's like 112 even. So if it's 112. So that would be, considering just mother and father, not excluding any situations that we don't know, that's over 200 parents. In theory, Although it, it might be that. opinions. When, when I've been reading this, my assumptions have been that when they're referring to parents, they're referring to one per player. Yes. And most most like parents of a player will agree with each other 
although that's not always the case. But but whatever it may be. And another thing that's kind of tricking this is the the notion of major contributors. We don't know what that means. I do think it's worth noting because, you know, until this point, most of the people who had put their names out there against Durkin were sort of bench warmers and players who had left. Former and, players. you know, who would have reason to be disgruntled? Um, you know, major contributors, yes, whatever there. that means. The most prominent, yes. like, support was from Lorenzo Harrison's parents. Mm-hmm. And so we offer that as a counterpoint. Now, as I said, you could completely understand why they don't want their names on the record in case something happens in retribution. They, that's a legitimate fear, and I completely understand that. And not many of you may have read that story because it's the athletic and it's behind a paywall. So it just adds to the difficult decision that they're going to have to make here. And it makes it harder to figure out what is the right decision. And it makes it for the Board of Regents uh, a decision that they they have to be this thorough because if they get it wrong, they possibly ruin the football program for a decade, maybe more. That's just what's at stake here. Yeah, nothing's riding on this except you know, the future of the program for the next decade. The one, Other than the biggest, that. The biggest breadwinner in college athletics. I know Maryland's a basketball school, but... Football drives the bus. So other than that, no pressure. Yeah, other than that, no pressure. Uh, Lamar, now when you read a story like that, what goes through your head? Uh, the way I've approached this process is just like taking each of these as like another piece to like what are like how do people feel because it's hard to it's really hard to judge like what is right and what is wrong when you get like snippets and pieces, but when you hear from like parents that like players are like fearful of retribution, it's like it's like wow, it's like that can't be the way like your program is run. But also, what exactly is happening is more still the question. Is like the thing that sticks out to me. Reading the report is going to be fascinating. Yes yeah. or no one keeping DJ Durkin. Reading the report is gonna give us a lot about what's happened behind the scenes because we have anecdotes we have stories and it seems pretty obvious that many of them happened the reporting has been strongly sourced enough and well and thoroughly reported that we could say most of these things probably happened but you figure this investigation is going to be incredibly thorough and will probably tell us a lot we don't know with the walters report we kind of knew most of what was in it already but with this report there's the possibility that there's a lot of stuff in here that we don't know and I think that's going to make for some interesting reading whenever it comes out. But, uh, I mean, I, the opinions are still really split. I mean, there's a lot of people who support Durkin, and there are a lot of people who don't. I've made my opinion clear. I think most of us have where we stand. But at least now we're closer to the end of this investigation, the beginning, and we're going to get a decision. And I think that that's closure for the program, rightly or wrongly. And when we get to that decision obviously we will talk about it whenever it is and of course there will be great coverage here at Testudo Times let's go over to happier things I guess uh Ben's basketball media day was yesterday and I'll let both of you guys go over things you took notice of the most when meeting with Mark Turgeon and meeting with some of the players before I get to the things that I think were very interesting uh Thomas what stood out to you most yeah so media day everyone's everyone's happy um this is kind of what I wrote about this morning it's just like there's nothing to be worried about yet. We'll we'll start worrying when Maryland loses. Um, 
but that's that's what we do <laughs> yeah like like everything you could be worried about everything is great right now daryl morsell has fixed his jump shot and anthony cowan's so much more of a leader and bruno fernando has really expanded his game and all these things and some the best passer on the team yeah you know and every single freshman is better than expected you know things like that but in in truth a lot of those things seem legit just looking at practice uh Marcel's jumper in particular i think is like to me the biggest thing because that was such a glaring weakness in his game that changed the way teams defended maryland's whole offense and if that becomes not even a strength but just Passable. not a weakness anymore if he becomes average then Maryland's offense, I think, hits another gear just like that. And I like what I saw in the scrimmages from Eric Ayala, Aaron Wiggins, Jalen Smith. Um, and, it, it, you know, it looks like the regular old good stuff from Cowan and Fernando. So there, there's reason to be optimistic just based off those things alone. Lamar, what did you take note of? Uh, one thing I took note of, especially from just like interviewing everyone was just how this team seemed. there's a fun aura around this team. It's not like you said, there's nothing to be worried about yet. So everyone's just enjoying the time. And like, that's something you can like feel in the air. And like everyone talked about like how together they are right now. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see like how that like continues into the season. But for now, everyone seems like they're like, really bonding together and like everyone seems excited to play basketball again um that italy trip seems to have helped them a bit yeah gave them a jump start when they needed it the most uh i want to start with the things that i noticed the first of which was thomas was the comments that mark churchin made that last year the team's culture was not well and he knew early in the season i'm surprised that he said that i'm surprised that it happened at all uh, what did you make of those comments? I was I was also surprised he said it because the you know all through last year he he reiterated that he he still liked his team. I mean Maryland after the first couple games wasn't great and then it looked like they were starting to figure a few things out. Then Justin Jackson got hurt. Then even Bender got hurt. Um, and and suddenly that was that. Like you know he he did say some of the same stuff, but. He definitely said, you know, I like our guys at media day last year. And he was, you know, trying to pass it off as if he hadn't, as if he knew something wasn't right. Um, so that, we that have one, the evidence. We could go back on the website and see what we wrote. Yeah. I mean, I remember during the season and before the season, he said, like, you know, he, he was higher on the team than he's pretending to be now. But that, that that's honestly like less to worry about, I think just even focusing on this year's team there is a good amount to like it seems like the team has come together in a way that other teams haven't we saw this at the midnight mile uh where you know the team was really having fun with each other and with the other students there and that matters and i think that seems to be doing well He's talked a lot about getting students into the gym, not necessarily for the big games, but for the lesser games. And 
Yeah, I, I kind of agree with him. This is like, we know what Xfinity Center is like when it's full. And that is a distinct home court advantage. And Mark George will tell you that because his Maryland teams are infinitely better at home than they've ever been on the road. Uh, so, again, the atmosphere being a fun, jovial thing, I think, helps. Also, just having a lot of newness on the team, I think, probably changes it because last year so much was expected. And this year, I mean, last year there was a lot of open possibilities, but they were without Melo Trimble. It was the hallmark of a team and of a era for Maryland basketball, and they didn't have that, and I don't think they quite knew how to deal with it, and expectations kind of just fell on them. And this year, there are expectations, as there always is with Maryland basketball, but just having about, what, six freshmen? think probably helps change that dynamic a little bit and helps refresh everything uh the other thing thomas that i wanted to mention was talking to bruno fernando about silvio de sosa because that's obviously very timely now those two are friends and all that has been going on with the maryland booster apparently wanting to pay de sosa to come to maryland or whatever the case may be that court case is getting really really wild and if you have a chance to read it that's the only maryland nugget but there's been nuggets on everybody it's absolutely bananas uh, I'm surprised people asked about that. I guess it's media day. You don't normally want to. Well, Maryland doesn't want you to ask about that. But what did you think about hearing that news and then seeing Bruno Fernando talk about it? It didn't surprise me. I mean, I know, I know, uh, you know, the post was there. The Diamondback was there. They're, you know, kind of, they've got people in there. You're saying ask about that. And, you know, I, I personally knew that I would, I, you know, if I would have asked it, I'd, didn't think I was going to get much of anything. So I didn't think for me it would have been worth it, but for a lot of other people it is. And it's it's important to give people a chance to address things. I mean, Bruno Fernando and Silvio de Sosa have the same guardian. That is, that matters. Um, you know, not only that Bruno's close with de Sosa and now sees his friend in this, like, it's possible Bruno Fernando's recruitment wasn't the cleanest thing either. Obviously not that he would say anything like that, but it's important to a lot of people to get him on the record. Well, I believe, something that, now. But I believe that DeSosa was almost really, really close to coming to Maryland until he went to Kansas. Yes. So, you tell me. Like, it's not unreasonable to think about that. I knew you were going to get much of anything out of that, but again, as I said, like, I'm just surprised they asked it even in media day because I knew that the, the likelihood of you getting anything out of it meaningful was nil. Mark Turgeon also made comments on it, and he said what he said a billion times, so I don't think there's anything more to add to that. Uh, Lamar, is there anything else from, from media day that you took note of? I think the comment that Eric Ayala is one of the best passers on the team was something that surprised me, and then hearing about Jalen Smith and how oh, he loves Maryland and all these things. You know, obviously Mark Turgeon is going to rave about his freshman, but this year, of all years, it would be kind of important for him to rave about his freshman because they're the most important players on the team. Yeah, and the Eric Ayala comment is important because then it uh, is something that Anthony Cowan mentioned at Big Ten Media Day and that was, like, mused about a couple times yesterday uh, at Maryland Media Day. Like, uh, Eric Ayala being a better passer and a better playmaker allows Maryland to once again utilize two point guards in their offense, similar to how they did uh, Mello's junior year. And because Anthony... Talent was able to see that and was a driving part of that shift for Melo. Uh, he knows what that looks like, and that's something that uh, can only help this Maryland team. 
because Anthony Cowan was asked to do a lot last year. And to be fair, it was probably too much. And now he has some running mates to go along with them. Is there anything else, Thomas, for Media Day that you took note of? That's, that's what I took from it, mostly. Yeah, I think out of you know the things you can really glean from this time, that's probably the most notable, is that Ayala does have real a, a real point guard skill set. And because Maryland didn't have had – had a lot of injuries in the front court last year, and then it had no backup point guard really all year. And that's why Callen played 37 minutes a game. And as much as he said it didn't bother him, he was very clearly gassed late in games and as the season wore on. That shouldn't be a problem this year because of that, and I think that's huge. And they could also slide Daryl Morsell not playing at the four – now that he can shoot, you have a lot more variety in the lineups that Maryland can run. I know we talked for years about Maryland going small, but this is not a big team, but putting Darren Marcel further back on the floor and him shooting better gives Maryland options. It all sounds great here in October, and then they'll play badly against some nondescript non-conference team and everybody will freak out, and that's Maryland basketball for you. But we're less than three weeks away from the season starting. As you listen to this, you probably are going to be seeing some stuff from Women's Basketball Media Day we will talk about that next week. Uh, Non-Rev Sports Time, Thomas. Uh, men's soccer beat a ranked team. Beat a top 10 team. Beat a top 10 team, yes. I, like, I liked reading that. I called the soccer game last night was one of the most nondescript nil-nils you'll ever see. So coming back home to read that was, was very nice. Yeah, I was, I was surprised sort of as I was editing that because, you know, that's one that Maryland just hasn't had the firepower to hang with a lot of teams this year, but they took the lead on Denver in the first minute. And and from there, Denver was probably a little better, but Maryland got the stops it needed. Um, you know, soccer has that. Soccer has that. Um, oh, oh, trust me. Yes, it does. You cannot imagine how many times I've pulled remote controls at walls for the exact same thing. Yep. Not necessarily Maryland related, but other soccer related things, but it happens in this sport quite a bit. Yep. I mean, and, these things happen in a lot of sports that are that low scoring. Um, field hockey is another, and I guess that's a transition, is that, you know, a game can kind of get away from you real quick. But Maryland field hockey has lost one game and then went right back to beating top 10 teams on the road last weekend. Um, so nothing to worry about there. Nope. Uh, Maryland volleyball had two tough losses at home. Uh I believe they lost one in five sets and one in four. I think realistically you could hope for them to grab one of them. I don't think they were really favored in either match. Who did they play? It was Michigan State the first time who was unranked. Um, and Michigan on last Sunday, who was number 13. Okay. So not too much there. And women's soccer is still pretty much drawing everybody. That's another soccer thing, yes, drawing everybody. A couple of things. First of all, Christy Tolliver, new assistant coach with the Washington Wizards. That's very good. Mm -hmm. Can she get John Wall and Bradley Beal to play together? Someone's got to. Hey, if Christy Tolliver could do it, I'm all for – I'm not a Wizards fan, but I'm all for watching Christy Tolliver make that happen. That would be awesome. Yep. I would laugh hysterically if that happened. Also, men's soccer thing, 
best wishes to Chris Duyatum, who is a uh, Maryland men's soccer player, drafted first round of the Super Draft. I believe he was uh, just diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is absolutely terrible, and uh, hope he gets well soon, obviously. And uh, best wishes to a former Turk who was a big part of uh, some good Maryland men's teams the last couple of years. Is there anything else that we need to mention, Thomas? I think we got it all. Oh, there is one thing I should mention that I forgot to mention last week. Uh, congratulations to our friend Jared, Inside MD Sports now. It stinks that I have no money because now most of his good stuff is going to be behind a paywall, but he likes recruiting, so that fits him great. And obviously we love Jeff and Josh over there, so I got old Jay's over there as well. That's interesting, but uh, congratulations to him. Wanted to mention that last week and then completely lost sight of that, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry to Jared for doing that. I was thinking about it right up until the moment we started recording the show, and then I completely blanked on it. And I almost blanked on it here, too. Sorry, Jared. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we've, we've kind of, you know, Jared had his whole, you know, his farewell post, and he had some tweets, and then he appeared on Outtakes this week. Um, here on the show we talked about point, it. Probably. We'll, we'll see if we can swing it. I don't think they have any problems with us. I like Jeff and Josh. I had them on my Maryland radio show at WMUC a billion times. If they remember who I am, uh, I think that we should be okay with them. I, th I hope. I mean, I haven't done anything to offend yet, have I? Well, I've done 131 of these shows. That's possible that I have. We'll uh, see. Is there anything else that I missed, or are we, are we in good shape? We should be good. I'm, I'm glad I didn't forget anything this time because I've been awful in terms of forgetting things. Uh, enjoy Maryland against Iowa on Saturday if it's an enjoyable experience, uh, especially if you're going. I, I, I want to say if, if you haven't gone to a Maryland-Iowa game, I know they don't play at Iowa very often. It's a thing you should do. You will have a lot of fun. It's probably one of the best road trips of the Big Ten. I think it's probably the most underrated road trip of the Big Ten. I mean, going to Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan are fun and Wisconsin, but Iowa's the most underrated road trip of the Big Ten. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And if you could go, enjoy yourself. There's some great people out there. And it is, they're, they're, again, I, I loved it when they came to Maryland the first year. And they were some of the nicest people that you can meet. And then they were even nicer when we were out there. So uh, enjoy that if you're going. Enjoy the game. I hope Maryland's more competitive. And the last time they went to Iowa, well, they weren't actually that uncompetitive that day. But whatever the case may be. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And, of course, the Terps.